Welcome to World Changers, a podcast where we analyze and dive into the lives of the greatest people who've ever lived. I'm Steven. My name's Brett, and today we're going to be talking about Leonardo da Vinci. Um, and he was one of the greatest minds to have ever lived. Um, the, the things that he accomplished, the things that he created, um, his creativity, his painting, obviously, uh, a lot of different things that made him famous. He was what you'd call a polymath, somebody who's basically really good at a lot of different things. Um, he was an inventor, a painter, a sculptor, an architect, a scientist, an engineer, an astronomer, a botanist, a writer, a cartographer, anything else? A Steve? lot of stuff. A lot yeah. of stuff. Um, and And probably best known for his painting, uh, having painted two of the most famous uh, paintings to ever be created, which were the Mona Lisa and the Last Supper, and we'll talk more about those later. Um, just to give, let's start with a little background. Um, so obviously, you know, he's referred to as uh, the Renaissance man, and uh, he was one of the, if not the key figures during the Renaissance. And uh, it, the Renaissance was a time um, where it seemed like you could find uh, – a genius on every corner of the street. And out of all these guys, uh, Leonardo really rose above all of them as uh, the foremost genius. Um, so the Renaissance, uh, which means rebirth, it was a time of uh, great strides in uh, science and art. Um, and uh, around this time, there was uh, Michelangelo, Leonardo, uh, Raphael, and all these people lived in and around Italy. Um, and... Uh, we're talking about the uh, 1400s, 1500s. Yeah, that, about that 1400s, 1500s is when this is happening. Um, and, uh, yeah. Some of the uh, reasons why culture was, was flourishing in Italy at the time, um, uh, one of which was just a lot of, a lot of wealth brought to the area by merchants. Um, and so that, that created a lot of wealthy families that were then able to patronize the arts and commission artists to complete these great works. Um, and also, the a lot of Greek scholars were actually forced into Italy from Constantinople after it was taken over by the Ottomans, and and so they brought a lot of uh, ancient texts from uh, from ancient wise men like Aristotle, Plato, Ptolemy, and Euclid. So, speaking of famous people, around the same time, um, the people that lived. Uh, in and around Leonardo's time, uh, there were Christopher Columbus, Martin Luther, uh, the Medici's, Joan of Arc, uh, Copernicus, and uh, and uh, Guten- yeah, Gutenberg. Oh, Gutenberg. Another yeah. one. So just kind of to paint the picture, when this is happening, where it's happening. So um, we're in Italy and uh, a little bit outside of Florence, about twenty miles outside of Florence, in the in the town of Vinci. On April 15th, 1452, Leonardo is born. Now, his father was a pretty well-respected, you know, uh, local man, and uh, he actually had an illegitimate child with a country girl, and that that ended up being uh, Leonardo. Mm -hmm. And uh, because of this fact, he actually couldn't take his father's last name. And uh, interestingly enough, that's why his name is Da Vinci. He is Leonardo from Vinci. That'd be like saying, uh, you know, Brett, born in New York, uh, Brett from New York. Yeah, you know, that's my name. I, I don't know if it was as, as strange as it was back then for it is now for us now, but uh, but that was his name, Leonardo from Vinci. Yeah, and um, 
he was a handsome kid. He was strong. You know, as a kid, he uh, he actually couldn't live with his dad. He never saw his mom because they were of a different social class. But uh, he lived out in the country with his grandparents, and it seemed like his childhood was just full of bliss, just adventure and uh, creativity. He loved animals and insects, plants. Um, you know, he was obsessed with birds and butterflies. They uh, they say that he would buy songbirds from the market just to set them free. Mm-hmm. And he grew a deep love for animals and horses, uh, actually, as well, uh, to the point where he actually became a um, vegetarian. And he just refused to eat meat uh, just because he loved the animals. He really connected with them so much. Yeah, he was really he was a really curious child and, and person overall. Um, he, he didn't have any formal schooling. Uh, and he was, uh, quote-unquote, a disciple of experience. Um, and so he, w- he would just go out and learn the things that he wanted to learn rather than being lectured to by, you know, whoever, a teacher or, or parents or some kind of tutor. Um, he, he did his own thing and just learned what he wanted to learn. Um, one of the shortcomings that came from no formal schooling was that he never learned Latin. And this will we might talk about this a little bit more later, but this that's one of the reasons why he's more well known for, or that he's not as well known for his scientific discoveries, even though he made some pretty amazing scientific discoveries just yeah. just on his own, you know, without any formal schooling or anything. But because he he didn't know Latin, they couldn't get published. Right, exactly, because yeah. that was the basically like kind of the scholarly language of the day, and yeah. so none of his findings were really published or respected in the scientific world at the time. Um, so as a child, he uh, he actually had twelve and a half siblings, which is uh, sorry, twelve half siblings. <laughs> I don't think he can have twelve and a half. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Um, but um, well, his dad remarried like three or four times. I yeah. think, right? Yeah. So he, he didn't have a lot of uh, he didn't have a strong core family going on right yeah. now. And uh, living with his grandparents. Uh, later on in his life, he recorded two childhood incidences. Mm-hmm. Incidences and, and uh, one. He regarded it as an omen, which was when a kite, which is a type of bird. It's a type of bird for all you lay people out there. Uh, dropped from the sky and hovered over his cradle, its tail feathers brushing his face. And, uh, you know, we, as we study Leonardo's life, we see a clear obsession with flight. As a child, he was obsessed with birds. Later on, you talked about his scientific inventions. Mm-hmm. Uh, he drew up things for a parachute, for uh, planes, and uh, he was just captivated by the scuba diving device mask yeah it doesn't have to do with flight but also that's true yeah it does not have to do with flight but really cool flying through the water something like that fish yeah yeah um you mentioned two experiences of his childhood the other one was um it wasn't a dream it was he he was hiking in uh, around florence around the area where he was growing up and um he came upon a dark cave and there were two emotions that overcame him at the same time. One was great fear of what might be in the cave. Could get eaten by a bear or something. The other was just intense curiosity to find out what was in there. Like he just really wanted to find out. And that was kind of Leonardo's, that was a trademark of his, uh, of his life was just he just really wanted to figure things out. And he was so curious and would just try things out just to see what would happen. And, uh... Eventually, the curiosity won out, and which is a great thing and kind of symbolic. Think about kind of curiosity, desire, overcoming fear, um, instead of being held back by fear. And 
Yeah, it wasn't like a, a crazy experience. He didn't die, obviously. He didn't get eaten by anything. But he actually ended up finding some uh, whale fossils in the walls of the cave. Um, and that's been confirmed later on. They found there have been many other findings of, of whale fossils actually around that area of, of Italy. So, Yeah, I think it's uh, as, as we you know, go on this journey and we analyze these, these great people um, and why they changed the world, I think that's a common thread is that you know, throughout our lives we have these choices where we can choose to do something scary and risky and possibly dangerous. Um, and, but the, uh, we can also, you know, achieve, you know, glory and fame and immortality in some sense, or we can choose to walk away. And, you know, I I think most people walk away and that's why we're not talking about most people today. We're talking about the Leonardo's of the world who walk into the caves. Um, okay. So yeah, his, his childhood, you know, out in the country, playing with animals, uh, you know, walking in caves. It's, fine. it's just a good time, you know, he's loving life. And um, his, uh, grandpa, his grandfather finally dies, and he gets sent to live with his dad in Florence. And his dad um, realizes how uh, proficient he is in, in, the, in the way of art and, and drawing and uh, the way of art. <laughs> and so he sends him out um, to, uh, to get, like, a mentor. You know, so yeah. but to be a disciple of, of someone. An apprenticeship. Yeah. Right? So he ends up uh, going to Florence and uh, becoming an apprentice in the workshop of a man named Verrocchio. Verrocchio. Yeah. Um, we do speak Italian. Thanks for asking. Uh, Leonardo, he, so he was 14 when he started there, and that was in the year 1466. So... Um, he starts working under under Verrocchio, and he Verrocchio's shop was was the kind of thing where there were multiple people there. He, Leonardo wasn't the only apprentice, and Verrocchio was a pretty well known um, artist, sculptor, uh, and they did they did a lot of other things in, in the in the shop. And, and Leonardo ended up learning tons of things, not just about art, um, but what were some of the I other mean, things? metalworking, plaster casting, uh, leatherworking, mechanics, carpentry. To go along with artistic skills of drawing, painting, sculpting, modeling, even geometry, navigational equipment. So it was just his dream come true. Yeah. You know. So this is one of those situations where some some wealthy family will come to Verrocchio and say, hey, can your workshop please paint me something or, or make me a really good sculpture of this so I can put it in my mansion yep. kind of thing. I mean, it's kind of like uh, imagine if the NBA, uh, you know, is ruined. It doesn't exist anymore. And then billionaires like uh, Elon Musk, they pay LeBron James to come to their house to play basketball. Yeah, it sounds kind of strange, but LeBron James would be excited because he's getting paid to play basketball. Yep. And the other people are entertained, and so that's that's how um, there was like this symbiotic relationship between artists and these patrons and uh, economics. Economics. Yeah. It's a good time you there. Um, so, but but obviously there were some uh, sort of landmark moments. Uh, one of which was a a painting that Leonardo collaborated with Verrocchio and probably others in the shop um, on. It, it, that was called the Baptism of Christ. So it was a picture of it was a painting of John the Baptist uh, pouring water on Jesus Christ's head, and there's some nature's background, and then uh, I think they're standing in a river as well. Um, and then on the left side, the bottom left of the painting, there are two little angels. And um, it's pretty well documented that that 
the angel on the left was painted by Leonardo. It's it's pretty well proven. They've x-rayed the painting, and Leonardo and Rodocho used a different uh, base in their paint, and, yeah. and Rodocho used actually lead. And so when you x-ray it, everything disappears except for Leonardo's painting. Hmm. So it's 100% it was painted with a different substance, a different type of paint, but gotcha. it's, it's pretty agreed upon that it was that it was Leonardo. Yeah, another fun fact is that Leonardo was left-handed. Um, well, actually, ambidextrous. He can paint with both. Oh, okay. But he chose to. He left. chose to paint left-handed. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of times, the, what we can do is we can take paintings and, and tell that they were painted by a left-handed person by the way that the strokes are yeah. are made. So they, they'd be opposite of, of the way somebody would do it as a right-handed person, obviously. So. Um, but but this angel, yeah. Yeah, the angel. So uh, this little angel was painted by by Leonardo, and uh, isn't there a story about? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the story goes that you know uh, back then the, the main uh, the master artist or painter would do majority of the stuff. They'd ask for help around the, for the supplementary background trees. Leonardo yeah. helps with the supplemental angel, and it's so good. And then Verrocchio was so humbled by the superior talent of his pupil that he never picked up a paintbrush again. Now, some scholars dismiss this as apocryphal. We will never know for sure. Um, but we do know is that uh, Verrocchio didn't paint very much anymore yeah. after that. He, he focused just on sculpting. He became a great yeah. sculptor. Um, but it kind of seems this this moment in time when Leonardo really you know, stepped it up and became uh, who he was going to be. Yeah. Um, another thing about this time period, there were some... Uh, so we mentioned that Leonardo was a pretty good-looking guy, yeah. um, and as a child, he was uh, pretty good-looking. And, and so it's pretty—it it could be that he was a model for some of the um, art that was done by the workshop. For example, there was a bronze statue created of a young David, like David from David and Goliath, uh, by the workshop. That that I think it's pretty likely that Leonardo yeah. was probably a, and, a model for that. And. And not only, I mean, he was definitely good looking is what people say. Um, there's a very high chance that he was actually uh, homosexual. Yeah. Or had a uh, tendency, same gender, same gender attraction. When he was under Verrocho, um with all these other boys that were apprentices as well, uh, he got into, he got accused of uh, sodomy, right? Yeah. And it was this devastating uh, blow to his uh, his ego. I yeah. Mean, his his uh, psyche, his... He probably became depressed. I yeah, think. He, well, he he became a recluse. He 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 left society for a few years. Yeah, it wasn't for a while till he actually came back. He got acquitted of him. Right, of the charges. And I think um, that might have been partly political because some of his guy friends that were also uh, accused had some connections, connections, some rich families and stuff. We so. do know that he never um, got married. Right, he never really had any like romances, serious relationships with women. Yeah, yeah. So he's vegetarian. Most likely, he uh, is homosexual or has some same-sex uh, attraction. Yeah. Um, left-handed. He's left-handed. He's, he's definitely an odd guy. Yeah. But he's also good-looking and good at everything. And athletic, they say. Yeah. yeah so he, yeah. I don't know, it's cool. It's a cool mixture. Um, so in 1478, um, at the age of 26, he gets his first commission. Um, someone asks him to paint an altarpiece for a chapel in a city hall. But before he starts it, and by the way, at this point, he's become a master yeah. um, artisan. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, uh, <laughs> um, before he starts it, it's transferred to someone else. And this is the start of a pattern throughout Leonardo's life. You know, For all the good things he did have, one thing um, 
weakness he had, whether it was by uh, circumstance or personal choice, um, he didn't finish a lot of his projects. Yeah. Actually, the majority of his of his uh, projects he didn't finish. And that could have been a also just a a result of a, a guy who was just really curious about things. He might might kind of start something and be like, I don't know, I've gotten everything I need to get out of this yeah. and wanted to move on to something else. Totally, so. yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, so but, uh, a few years later, uh, by the time he's 30, he sets out for Milan. And um, there's wars breaking out all over Italy. So Italy wasn't like this uh, unified nation. It was a bunch of city-states. There's a lot of families that are in power, a lot of corruption and uh, assassins going around. People actually wore uh, dagger-proof robes. What would that look like? Were they made out of wood? I don't know. I don't know what the heck that those are made out of. Thick leather or something. But they were so paranoid that they were going to get stabbed at any second around any corner. And so, just to paint the picture, you know, there's you're going around, and Leonardo's life is bouncing around from these city states, uh, kind of in a circle, and finding people he can live with and that will pay him to paint. Finding work. Uh, And uh, when he goes there, he actually um, is he offers his architect skills for the military. Yeah, and, which is interesting. You know, you think a guy who who focused so much on painting just became a master painter, and now he's saying, "Hey, I want to build some devices of destruction for you." Yeah, well, I mean, it might have just been the only people that would pay him to do something. That's true. So yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was probably a good gig that he found. But but obviously, uh, like if you wanted anybody as your as your military architect to kind of be innovative, yeah, you, you can't find anybody better than Leonardo, Leonardo. da Vinci. Like he he would uh, he would create um, sort of portable bridges kinds of things that you could um, you know put together quickly to to cross a, a little river for to help troops move along faster. Bridge four. Uh, exactly, yeah, bridge four. Little Brandon Sanderson shout out there, um, and uh, you know innovative things like that and, and um, weapons uh, helping with uh, just protecting cities like mapping out walls and actually he he created some some maps for yep. for um for the people he worked for uh and that was a huge advantage back in that day you know it wasn't as easy to get a map of a of a battlefield back then so if he could c- provide a map of the area it was like huge tactical advantage for for a certain side you know yeah and so while he's there in Milan he also um paints uh, probably, I would say, his third or fourth most famous painting, uh, Madonna on the Rocks, or Madonna mm-hmm. of the Rocks. Yeah. And um, around this time, a plague comes through Milan. And uh, he actually decides not to leave, like you mentioned earlier. He helps uh, with city replanning. Yeah. He becomes the chief engineer um, and uh, just helps building out the city and protecting and, and recovering from the plague. And while he's there, there's a total eclipse, and he designs a device so you can look at it without getting, you know, damaged, your your eyes getting damaged, and to study awesome. it. And uh, he does work um, for the local place. He does makes a revolving stage. Yeah, that was one thing is uh, we mentioned before his, his fascination with flight, and he made, you know, he created a lot of different types of flying contraptions. Uh, one of them was kind of like a, was supposed to be like a helicopter, just sort of like it kind of looked like a spiral bowl kind of gets wider as you go down further um but the interesting thing about his innovations with flying is that well one of the interesting things is that a lot of them were geared towards creating props for the theater and he would he would actually help a lot with with building sets for for theater productions and 
and uh, you know building different contraptions to use as props. Um, yeah, and, and so he became, and a lot of became really interested in a lot of non-artistic studies that we've, as we've alluded to, mechanics. He actually got really into anatomy. He would, uh, mm. he uh, um, got a bunch of cadavers, and he yeah. would study the body and and his uh, depictions of the muscles and the bones and, and these cadavers were actually used for hundreds of years, even in the first medical schools and their books. Yeah. Um, it was Leonardo's drawings of these of these cadavers. Yeah. Interesting fact, he actually um, discovered, was probably the first one to discover the, the purpose of the aortic valve, the heart. And he did that by creating a, a model of a heart by out of making it out of wax and anyway we, we mentioned before that he didn't learn latin so he wasn't really able to publish his findings at the time and it, it ended up that his his findings on, on the the purpose of the aortic valve weren't actually confirmed until you know a few hundred years after even into the 1900s Unbelievable. so yeah he was he was a man way ahead of his time way ahead of his time and uh and this is another theme that we see in leonardo's life is he loves all these different areas of science. Uh, like I said, anatomy, biology, math, physics, art, you know, sculpting, mechanics. Uh, he he has an um, insatiable appetite uh, for knowledge. Yeah. And, and like you, you said, that could have been a part of his downfall, that he couldn't focus on one thing. Yeah. But it wasn't for us. You know, we got great inventions in all of these categories. And as he moved to different areas around Italy, um, it would change based on where he was and, and what they needed um, yeah, and obviously there were some obviously very amazing things that he did finish. You know, obviously like the the Last Supper and the Mona Lisa, we mentioned those before. Um, he, he painted the Last Supper in the 1490s, um, so he would have been in his 40s at that time. Um, he painted the Mona Lisa uh, the early 1500s, um, between 1503 and 1506, so he would have been in his early 50s at that time as well. Um, and those are probably the most that uh, those two paintings could be his most lasting legacy. How famous they are! How many people go to Paris to to see the Mona Lisa at the Louvre every year? It's it's amazing. Like his influence just from that painting. Yeah, it, it, hands down, it's the most famous painting on earth. Yeah. Um, and it's actually when he painted this painting, he actually finally came back to Florence, and by this time in his life. Uh, how, how old did you say he was? What, what? Uh, it would have been early 50s. So he's pretty old, and he's really built uh, a name for himself. And so everyone just wants to get painted. And um, mm-hmm. he paints uh, a shy, you know, 24-year-old wife of a merchant named Giocondo. And kings were asking for it, you know, nobles, poor people, everyone. And for some reason, he painted this woman. Yeah. I don't know exactly why, um, but it's, uh, it is the most famous painting in the world today. You know, and it's, it's held in the Louvre in France. Um, but, uh, well, and, and one of the things that probably makes it so, such an amazing painting is that he had spent so much time, like we talked about, studying the human body and studying how, you know, the different positions that you can put your arms in, the different uh, movements of the face, facial muscles. Um, and so that knowledge, that's, that's another part of the genius of Leonardo is that he was able to take scientific research and apply it to art and have it inform his art and make his art even better and more accurate to real life. 
And so that that's a, I think that's a part of what makes that painting so sublime, let's say, is that uh, he was able to paint this woman so, so true to to real life and, and what um, she really looked like, what how her face would have moved, how her arms would have been set um, in that folded position that they're in in the painting. And so, yeah, I think we might talk about this a little bit more, but um, the fact that he was able to combine different disciplines, science, art, anatomy, um, was was pretty amazing. It really set him apart, even from yeah. you know the future people we're going to be talking about on this podcast. And yeah, uh, I think what you said, he he studied all of these, and he, he believed. The, we we think of different fields. We think, oh, you're a biologist, and I'm an uh, I'm a uh, physicist, and you're a basketball player, and I'm a poet, and we have nothing in common. Like we're so vastly different. And he would say rubbish. He would say no way. If I if LeBron James will study poetry, it will help him with his basketball. He felt that he he really believed that everything was connected. And we can see it in his work. He studied anatomy, and anatomy would help him paint people and sculpt people better. But then he would also uh, s- study mechanics, and mechanics would help him understand the body better. Yeah. And there's even fields today. There's biomechanics, you know, which is the mechanics of the body. And so, like, he he uh, was really ahead of his time with kind of being a, a bridge to all of these different disciplines. And he felt like they all worked t- together towards some greater truth. Um, and he spent his whole life, you know, learning these things. Yeah. But. Um, so he ended up passing away. He died on May 2nd, 1519 at 67 years old. Um, the cause was believed to be a recurrent stroke. Uh, and one of the stories about his death goes that he, he had become close to the to King Francis I of France. And uh, a story goes that, that the king actually held Leonardo's head in his arms when he died. So It's tender. Very tender, yeah. Uh, though it might not be true. But we'll, we'll go with it. We, we like that story. Um, and he, he left most of his possessions to one of his pupils, uh, his favorite one, whichever it was. We've heard different accounts. Yeah, I've heard Sally, <laughs> Salier. Yeah, uh, uh, I also saw um, Francesco Melzi as, as the one that he left it to. So He had a favorite. Yep, we may never know which one it was, but he, he, they, they always have favorites, you know. Parents, masters. <laughs> um, after he died, uh, I mean, you know, years later, obviously, uh, he, he left... 6,000 uh, journal pages with all of his notes, uh, with drawings, inventions, ideas. Yeah. Um, and um, in, Deep uh, throbbings of the heart. Yeah. No, really, though. He, he had some fun stuff in there. Um, yeah, but, I wasn't joking. But <laughs> uh, Microsoft founder Bill Gates actually was a winning bidder um, for a 72-page collection of these journals, and he paid a whopping $30.8 million for these uh for those 72 pages. But it is kind of cool that um, these two geniuses, I'd, I'd consider Bill Gates. Your journal and go for 30 mil in 500 years? No. <laughs> <laughs> Something to shoot for, though. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and actually, another painting by Leonardo, Savartor Mundi. Uh, Savior of the world, right? Nice. Yeah. 
sold for a world record $450.3 million. It's the highest price ever paid for a work of art. Um, That's a lot of money. Yeah, but he only actually had 15 paintings survive. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, and a lot of paintings unfinished, you know? Yeah. But uh, so even today— Quality over quantity, I guess, right? That's the truth. Yeah. I think Leonardo might. real quick about um, what made him a genius, you know, and uh, what set him apart from other people. Me, personally, I think he had some God-given ability. I yeah. think, uh, as I mentioned, um, the depth of his uh, curiosity uh, was unmatched. Um, and I also think, uh, you know, obviously, he had to have some artistic skill, some hard work that would help him gain that, you know, that would that would help him uh, progress in these, these attributes. Genius uh, by the fact that he uh, would find connections through um, other other fields, like we mentioned before. Yeah. I think that really set him apart. Um, yeah, and LeBron is a great genius. He's a basketball player. You know what he can do with his body is amazing. But Leonardo, um, uh, he, you know, he was musical. He could play instruments. He could paint. He could sculpt, but then he could go and uh, understand math and physics, and then he could um, uh, he could make inventions on flying, and he could do architecture. He could write maps. Uh, you know, he, he he just was someone that uh, was a genius in so many different categories, which I really it really seems to set him apart from other people. Talked about how just one, not just in one area, but in you know, obviously tons of different areas like we've talked about. And he was just willing to try different things. And and uh, we can learn from him because he, he didn't just rest on his laurels with his with his God-given abilities. He, he took the initiative to build on those. And um, he let those different areas that he had interest in and ability in culminate into... Uh, some of the greatest pieces of art that we've ever seen and that exist in the world today. Um, so, uh, and we talked about it before also, I think another part of his greatness is is his ability to combine, and this is a quote from uh, Isaacson, who, who recently published a biography on, on Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, he was able to combine scientific observation with artistic sensibility. And... Um, you know, we, we don't see that a ton in, in today's world. Uh, one one person that comes to mind would be uh, Steve Jobs, combining the science of technology 
um, and art to create something amazing like the iPhone or the yeah. iPad. Um, so that that combination, I think, definitely sets him apart from others. Well, uh, to end, um, I found a cool quote uh, from Leonardo, and he said, "The noblest pleasure is the joy of understanding." And I think that really, you know, kind of sums up his life and what he tried to do. But that's Leonardo da Vinci. If you have any questions, uh, feel free to email us. Um, every other uh, October, we'll do a, a questionnaire. Um, next week, we have Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton, sir. Isaac sir Newton. Isaac Newton, that's right. right. I apologize. Uh, who actually um, will, uh, it'll be really interesting to compare him and Leonardo side by side. But uh, yeah. Another, another polymath. Exactly. Yeah, he was talented in multiple different areas. So, so we'll catch you next week. Um, and uh, subscribe now. If you subscribe in the next 20 minutes, we will send you $100,000 cash. Fingers crossed. No. <laughs> That's of course not. Okay. I'm Grant. This is Steven. This is Later. World Changers.